0: Hi everyone, welcome to the Brown History Podcast. My name is Esen and you are listening to episode 42. Today we'll be discussing legendary film director Satya J. Ray with our guest today, the award-winning film critic Menakshi Shetty. This episode was possible thanks to the Toronto Film Festival and a special thanks to Nandita Datta from Toronto Film Festival. Right now, they have a really cool program going on where they're showcasing a bunch of movies by Satya J. Ray in their original formats and other movies that aren't by Ray but are connected to him. And it's all being curated by Minakshi, so it's very cool to have her on today. Now, if you haven't watched any of Satya J. Ray's movies, don't worry, you won't get lost. It's going to be a great episode and we're going to start now. So here we go. So thank you for being here.
1: Thank you, Asan. I'm just absolutely honored and delighted to join you. So
0: how did you end up being a critic, then? and that too, an award-winning one? Oh,
1: <laughs> um, I don't know. I think uh, I've never been somebody who had a big plan in life or, uh, you know, to achieve X, Y, Z big things by the end of five or ten years. Or I didn't have that kind of career goals, really. I've been ambitious, but not in a specific, this is what I want to achieve way, but ambitious in in the sense of... I'm very alert about opportunities floating by. They float by a lot of people, but a lot of people are not alert that it's an opportunity. And that is what I've been a little bit alert about, aware. So I actually primarily am a journalist and a film critic. And um, so there are these, uh, a few gurus who really brought me on this path. So one is Amrit Gangar, who's a film historian, scholar, critic, curator. Uh, He used to run something called Screen Unit. Uh, when I was in college, and he showed us the greats of world cinema, and these were all lugging 35mm prints in cans in those days. And um, um, so he would make these cycle-style notes, and there was a lot of Adabaji after the screenings in a little Irani joint where endless cups of tea, and I think those were my richest film school because I never really studied film in a, like a, at a university or something. It's mainly from the love of cinema. I did a film appreciation course at the Film and Television Institute of India in Pune in, in India. But uh, the film criticism is just something I bumbled into, stumbled into. Primarily, I'm a journalist.
0: Well, it worked out for you.
1: Yeah. So it it started off with my being in the Times of India and, and seeing these lovely movies. So there's this Mumbai International Film Festival. And I'd see these fabulous movies. They were from Malayalam in Marathi, in Tamil, in Assamese. And I said, hey, 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 hey. You know, the film critic of Times of India never, ever reviews these gorgeous films. It's only Bollywood or Hollywood. And I said, God, but that's so limiting. It struck me as very, very, very small. um, I mean, a huge and massive industry, of course, you know, fantastic industry and something I respect tremendously. But there's all this other richness which is being royally ignored. And I think I felt the hurt more because I was in the biggest newspaper in India. And I felt I have to I have to do something about it. So mm-hmm. I've always so I've never had a visiting card saying I'm a film critic, but it's just something I did like guilty pleasures on the side. But somehow you know it led me to this national award for best film critic, which then said, okay, this is it. You know because that award told me that I had something in me which I had not known of myself. It was just a fun thing that you do on the side for yourself. Right, but. Somehow, very quickly after that, I got invited on the jury at the Berlin Film Festival, then on the jury at Cannes Film Festival, and the jury at Venice. And that, again, changed my life because I went as a critic primarily on these juries, but um, the festival directors, when I met them, they'd say, oh, you know, we know this fantastic stuff from India, but we never have access to it, or we get mountains of trash, and we don't know how to find these jewels, mm-hmm. so would you help us? So that's how I started working really? with Berlin as a programmer. So, wow. you know, one thing led to another. Yeah. So I'm just immensely grateful for all of life's rich gifts, what can I say?
0: And now you're in, the, in Toronto yeah. at the <laughs> Toronto Film Festival. Yeah. So a lot of people think... I mean, I guess in this generation, a lot of people think that critics are someone who just gives a thumbs up or a thumbs down to a movie. But yeah. what really is a critic and why are they so important to the film world, the film industry?
1: Good question. Thank you for that. So I think um, so there were these people who guided me, as I said. So Amrit Gangar was one, but another was Maithili Rao, who was a fantastic, is a fantastic film critic. And there was another person called whose name is Iqbal Masood. It was a pen name for uh, FG Jilani, Jilani Sabit, Column. These were all these were both critics who didn't actually hold my hand and teach me things, but by what they wrote and who they were, I learned so much. So in mythology, in Indian mythology, is a character called Ekalavya, who got to be a fantastic archer by watching somebody and treating him as a guru, Dronacharya. But Dronacharya never actually taught him anything as such. But by single minded devotion to this guru and observing him, he learned a lot. So he always considered him a guru, but the guru may or may not have been aware of this quote unquote student, you know? So I consider these very much my gurus, uh, these two people, and they shape me because I think what I learned much more than the reductive thumbs up, thumbs down of today's generation is Maithili, and actually both of them, taught me to see a film in a much larger context. So to see the social context. So you see a film that could be a love story, but you can be aware of a lot of undercurrents which may or may not be very obvious. So for example, what is the cast of the boy and the girl? If it's it's even just a rom-com, for example. There can be many other layers which are there in the film. Sometimes you read into it, which the director may or may not have intended. But it's all, so cinema for me is a very loaded thing. And it's, of course, each one takes away what they want. But um, there can be castings, there can be social issues, there can be economic things, there can be definitely political things, there can be hints of LGBT stuff, which is not at all overt. So there's a lot of things which are there, which can be observed but are not obvious in saying dialogue. You know, I am lower caste, you are high caste, how can I marry you? So it's not going to be so crude as that. Mm. But there's a lot of cultural things that be coded and loaded, and it's for you to have the eyes to see them.
0: So you're like a guide.
1: A guide. And I feel it's much more relevant now. For me, a critic has always been relevant, but I feel way more relevant now Because I think everybody on this planet is drowning, drowning in a sea of information, films, many, many arts, art exhibitions, this, that, 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 multimedia installations, all kinds of stuff. And uh, even if you just take one streaming site, like Amazon or Hulu or Netflix or anything, they've just got thousands of things. And everybody, every morning, like it's tattooed on my forehead, Minakshi, please tell us what we should see. Mm -hmm. So everybody, I mean, me and any other critic as well, everybody's chasing you and begging you, oh, please tell me what I absolutely mustn't miss. So
0: people are, people, people are more into hearing what you have to say now than before? Me or or, or any, any other critic crit- they trust.
1: General. Yeah, I mean, there are zillions of critics, but yeah. you know for yourself whom you trust or whom whose guidance you would go by. Uh, or, um, you know, that you try and see a movie that they recommend or avoid a movie that they said was trashy or whatever, right? But uh, it's, so that's a very personal thing. You find your own critic that you can trust. But everyone's always asking me what I like. So that means there's such an overdose of uh, films and series. They want to know what are the good ones, right? Mm-hmm. So I think the the relevance is much greater. And I find it fairly shocking that there isn't, I think, frankly, the the, the web, the streaming sites should have Not they should have, but there should be a critic, especially also for streaming sites, because otherwise you just get this AI giving you crap. Oh, you saw one rom-com, it'll drown you with 20 more rom-coms. Shitty rubbish, right? You're getting
0: replaced by an algorithm. Yeah,
1: your life and your taste and your cultural, everything is getting ruled by some stupid machine algorithm. Uh, and you're stopping to use your brain and your culture and your own inheritance of what your parents and your culture has given you because you're le- you're going by, oh, 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 cool, another rom-com. Okay, 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 okay. You know, it's kind of the path of least resistance and yeah. it's just a shitty way to go about life, that's, I think. That's very
0: true, <laughs> I agree. So today you're here in Toronto for the Toronto Film Festival and you're curating uh, Satya J. Ray films. Yeah. And basically, and correct me if I'm wrong, you have to choose or curate a bunch of movies a bunch of movies by Satya J. Ray and a bunch of other movies that aren't made by Satya J. Ray and you have to kind of pretty much pick a certain amount of movies from a long list of movies that he made and basically what is your goal at the end of the day for your audience to leave with like what what is it that you want the audience to understand and know about Satya J. Ray after they watch all these movies that you picked. (laughs)
1: Okay, that's a big one. Yeah. But yeah, so it's a great, great privilege for me to be here. So it's at the Toronto International Film Festival, but it's at a a subsect of it called the TIFF Cinematheque, which does the year-round programming. And uh, so the program is called Satyajit Rai, if I were to say it correctly. (laughs) The Bengali style. That was my next
0: question.
1: (laughs) So Satyajit Rai, his contemporaries and legacy. So actually I thought of an ultra cool uh, title for it, which didn't, didn't work for them, but I call it Ray and "Upre," And I thought that was a very cool pun, but I'm not sure too many would get it, but that's also okay. So basically the idea was, because it's a Shatujit Rai centenary year, it's a year later because of the pandemic, but uh, he's definitely a very important figure to celebrate. But I also wanted to open up the canon uh, somewhat and also include films by his contemporaries. And it was very, very important to me to also talk to the younger generation Because a lot of the younger generation in India, and I think anywhere in the world, they've heard of Ray. Yeah, yeah, that guy. But I don't think they've seen a single of his films. I've talked to many youngsters, and some of them have heard of him, some have not heard of him. But I've not met a single youngster who's actually seen one of his films, even if it's just lying around on YouTube. So that's what I meant by stuff is there and stuff is available and accessible. But you don't know what is really fantastic, right? So you need a guide, just as we had guides when we were younger, uh, or continue to have to uh, shape our tastes, right?
0: But with him, it's kind of difficult because you just don't want to entertain your audience or the young generation. There is so much in his movies that you want them to understand and, and to take away with. And, you know, so how do you go about doing that with a certain, only a certain amount? Of, I think you only picked five movies or four movies.
1: So how do you do that? Oh, that was really a killer. I mean, my God, my list of Ray favorites are like about 37 because all of his films are so gorgeous. And uh, initially I could curate only eight and then somehow mm, 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 it finally became 10, which was a big bonus. But uh, so we have four films by Shatujit Rai, four films by his contemporaries and two by relatively younger generation directors. So, um, so actually, curating is a bit of a gamble. It's a detective game. It's a yeah, total outright gamble as well. So your actual list, that your dream list, may be very, very, very far from what you actually get to put out as a curated list in the in in the cinemas, and that's partly because, for example, we opened last night with Charulata, uh, which was. Uh, Ray's personal favorite as well, and it's a great, very beloved favorite of mine and of many, of many Ray fans, uh, Rai fans, I should say. But um, we, I was particularly delighted to collaborate with TIFF, which actually honors 35mm prints. This is a great privilege for me. I was like dying a thousand deaths of joy from seeing this film on 35mm print, which is impossible in India, there is no cinema in India anywhere that I'm aware of that actually shows 35 MM prints. It's totally been phased out. There are no cinemas left anymore which have it. There are no projectors. There is no system to show at all. So there is no access. So for me to even hear that faint crackling of sound on the 35 MM print to see the faint, faint, faint scratches was such a privilege. It, it took me back to kind of the cinema of my youth when you would see th- films on 35. But what we had last night was very special. It was a restored. 35mm print from the Academy Film Archives. We also have another one which we show on um, uh, on the weekend of uh, Shatranj Ke Khiladi, which is the chess players, also a Restore 35mm print from the Academy Film Archives. So we have three or four uh, prints like that. And for me, that's a real privilege. And we had a very good house last night, so I was happy that they were able to appreciate. But to return to your question about how to choose... so. As I said, the dream list is very far from what you actually get. So in some cases, we want a 35 mm print, so where do you get that? And then you want a restored one, which is in really good condition, so that each time your choice gets more and more limited. Sometimes, a lot of the times, the, the producer's dead, and cannot be traced. A lot of films, the producer simply cannot be traced. And you can't show a film unless... I mean, I like to work clean to get the rights written, yeah, yeah. paid, all no of that cr- stuff. No yeah, a lot of the time, the producer can be traced. He's passed away, but the, his his legatees, his inherited... The people who inherited the rights are all fighting among each other and can't give you a line saying, yes, you have permission. So there's a lot of behind the scenes. Sometimes you include a film because you think, or it might be possible that one of the people from the films can come here as a guest as well you know, for a Q&A or to present or something. So there are many of these other considerations that come in other than your dream list. So finally, it got chiseled to am so very thrilled. So we have, of course, Charu Lata. We have Debi. We have Shatranj Ki Khiladi. And um, one more. What is the last? It'll come back to me in a moment. So there's Four films by Ray, uh, Nayok. And then we have Four films by his contemporaries. So we have um, uh, Shubhana Rekha by Ritik Ghatak. We have called Siddheshwari. who's very avant-garde, experimental. Stunning, stunning work it is. And, you know, uh, Aparna Shahin's uh, Mr. and Mrs. Ayer. Yeah. And then we have two films by the younger generation. So Onik Datta, uh, who made a film called Aparajito, on how Shatujit Rai made his first film. It's a 2022 film this year, but it's an exquisite black and white, and it's got this gorgeous, gorgeous kind of silver nitratey feel. You know, it feels like it's a 35mm film of that time. And uh, Amit Dutta's Nain Suk, which is a just a magnificent experimental film, just beautiful work. Also, younger generation. Yeah.
0: So, so let's go back to the history of Ray. How did Ray first get started in movies, and how did you know? Because apparently, you just told me that there's a movie about him making his first movie. So there must be a lot of drama and trouble and a very difficult task to do. So, what was it? Oh, actually, you know what? Before we ask that question. Why don't we talk about what the industry was like at the time when Ray was starting out?
1: So, one of the reasons his film was also remade, uh, his, his struggle to make his first film was celebrated in Aparajito which means the undefeated Bownik Dutta, is he, and for me it was important to include this because this for me is really a film that talks to the younger generation and also is a wonderful, very charming entry point into Ray's work. If you haven't seen a Ray film, this is a very charming way because I think most people in their life, whatever profession, you can be a minor or a computer engineer or architect, dream somehow, oh, one day I'll make a movie. You know, it's just kind of a random kind of dream, which is very common, even if you're not from the arts per se or a, or studying film. Uh, So Ray was actually in advertising and he was just crazy about movies in general. But he also came from a very specifically, a very culturally evolved family. So he belonged to the Brahmo sect, which is a sect of Hindus, which is very cosmopolitan and very, uh, a a very social reformist kind of sect. Uh, And you see that addressed in a lot of him. He's very feminist. He's very... Uh, uh, he really questions oppressive religious practices and patriarchy and stuff like that, right? Uh, questioning questioning a lot of t- traditional Hindu values, which he didn't find progressive uh, in his films. But uh, he worked with DJ Kamer, which was a British ad agency. And at some point, they sent him to England for further training. It took like three months by ship. And when he went there, he made it a point every single day to see a movie, which he'd never get to see back home. So at some point, he'd seen Bicycle Thieves by Vittoria De Sica, which is like this icon of uh, Italian neorealism. And that deeply influenced him. And he said, what, 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 what? Is it possible to make movies like this? It's low budget. There's no song. There's no hero, heroine. There's no big stars. They're non-actors who are at the heart of the film. The protagonists are non- actors and made in very realistic setting in, in ordinary houses and streets and not in a studio. No fantastic lighting, nothing. He said, is it possible? So it opened up his eyes to radically different possibilities of filmmaking, which didn't really exist in India at that point. So in fact, that's why uh, Pothair Panchali, The Song of the Little Road, his first film, which he made in 1955, it's considered, um, you know, uh, he's considered a pioneer of the what is called the parallel cinema movement, which is the independent art house movement. And the reason it was very radical is that he was radically operating outside this very, very, very suffocating Uh, Hindi cinema it wasn't called Bollywood in those days but a very suffocating template you gotta have a hero heroine you gotta have romantic action drama adventure six songs and a happy ending right the masala formula yeah so that's yeah exactly so that's been around for like a century and it was very suffocating so the film also talks of his humiliations trying to find a producer. And it's like, what? There's no hero who in? Forget it. What? There's no romance? What nonsense? It's about, you know, a, bro- a little brother and sister growing up in genteel poverty in a little village in rural Bengal. Like, what nonsense? And then it's hilarious because, as the movie Aparajito says, uh, finally his wife A ra- sold her wedding jewelry to in- raise the initial funds for him to make a filmmaker. Wow. So it, I love that it acknowledges his wife's role in his... Career as a filmmaker, but also later she found a friend who went and met some minister uh, who was a relative of a relative who was in the PWD, so the Public Works Department, and finally managed to weasel funds meant for the Siliguri Highway. To make a film because the title was Song of the Little Road. So he got <laughs> highway funds to fund a film wow. to make his first film. So it's very charming. Yeah.
0: Well, this was also in the 1950s when he made his first movie. And exactly. And this is 1947. It was a few years ago. It was independence. Yeah, independence yes. partition. There yes. was the famine. Yes. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of the royal elites lost their powers. And I think most of them would fund the arts. And now right. that funding is gone. Yeah. So what was it like in a political lens from a political perspective for Ray to make a movie at that time?
1: Wonderful question. So you're absolutely right. So Ray, I think he was, um, he was, um, he was moved by a story by, uh, 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 you know, a lot of his works were adapted from literature. Uh, so so was Pother Panchali and a lot of the yeah. Opu Trilogy. So I think he, he went by his instinct of something that he really loved, a story that he really believed in about this brother and sister growing up. So it's a very ordinary story about, Uh, the joys and sorrows of life and how uh, you can have extreme dignity and great joy, even though you might be poor. Uh, So it celebrated that, whereas, you know, um, uh, politically it was put down as a film that was exporting poverty to the West, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it did the reverse. It actually showed how much you could, how much dignity you could have and how much joy you could have, even though you didn't have much money in a bank or didn't even know what a bank was. So I think it actually did the reverse. Uh, But... um, he did address, uh, you know, he and his contemporaries, you know, he made Ashani Sanket later, which the Golden Bear, which was about the, the Great Bengal Famine. So he did address a lot of these issues, but his contemporary, whom I've also included, uh, we, uh, we haven't included his, but also Rithik Ghatak, uh, whose Rekha we have, which is the golden thread or the golden line, uh, a lot of his work, uh, he was himself very deeply affected by partition uh, of East Bengal. Uh, as well as, you know, there were millions of refugees on both sides in Pakistan and India and whereas, um, uh, as well as on the Bengal side. And a lot of his work uh, dealt with the with the trauma of partition. But also... Uh, I have to say, we have an exquisite, exquisite film in this, which I'm so proud and so delighted to include. It's called Jago Hua Savera, Deshaldon, by A.J. Kandar, who was then in West Pakistan, but made this film in East Pakistan, which later became Bangladesh. This was around 1959. Okay, get this. This was during the occupation years. Mm-hmm. He, But he shot it in East Pakistan, which later became Bangladesh in 1971. And it's this extraordinary uh, sort of shot. It was directed by A.J. Kandar and this extraordinary collaboration between west pakistan east pakistan and india so <laughs> like it's this extraordinarily historic film um so it was made with um uh, aj kardar from west pakistan faiz Ahmad faiz wrote the lyrics if you please and the songs wow and then there was um um khan Rahman, who was who's a big bangladeshi star and um, Zay, um Zahir Raihan, I hope I have the name correct, and uh, assistant director, who later became uh, you know very accomplished filmmaker himself. Then there was from India, there were many talents. One was Tripti Mitra, who was an actress with IPTA, which was part of the uh, the the artistic wing of the Communist Party of India. Very accomplished actress. There was Timir Baran who made the music. There was Manik Bandupadhyay on whose book it was based, Pada Nodir Maji Etchestra. And there were a whole British crew who were the techie guys. So there was a British cinematographer, a sound guy, editor from England. So it was wildly uh, all-South Asian international collaboration. And it's an exquisite... Uh, for me, it's, it directly draws from the aesthetics and the humanist values of shatajit Rai, but also Italian... Italian neorealism and a larger international forces. So for me, it's a kind of one of the many shining points of this package.
0: When Ray released his first debut film, what was the reaction in India, in and what was the reaction in, the, in internationally?
1: Right. So uh, it was thank you for this very interesting question. So I think initially the same reaction as a producer. What? There's no hero. In, there's no song. What is this nonsense? Are we going to waste two hours on it kind of stuff? But there was a kind of lag reaction. Uh, so it, I think the initial reaction wasn't bright. But what happened was this is extraordinary. And it again, to come back to a point that you raised earlier, it highlighted the role of critics and curators in shaping a, a, a filmmaker's career and also audiences taste. Right. So actually, there was an extraordinary character called, I think if I get the name right, it's Edgar Kaufman from MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art in New York, which actually at the time in 1955 had a a, a textile and ornamental arts of India exhibition for which uh, Kaufman had come to India. And he heard about this guy, Shatujit Rai, making some cool film. You know, there were vibes about it. He went and saw an early cut. It wasn't even finished. A work in progress. He was very impressed and immediately alerted his the, the main curators in New York and said, hey, this is cool stuff going on. And guess what? MoMA actually sent Shatujit Rai finishing funds to make the film, and they debuted the film in MoMA. And that totally got such a good vibe and a good response, and the critics wrote about it. And that alerted world attention. And the next year it was shown at the Khan Film Festival in 1956, where it won the Human Document Award. And then it went on to further fame and glory. But it was MoMA that discovered him. And it's so interesting for me that a curator had the vision for a textile show to say no if there's an interesting film. You, you know, it's not the brief of it's Ray. Ray was making extra. Was, wasn't was making textiles but to have that vision that yes this is celebrating the arts of India we have textiles but we can also include a film and to have the vision and the generosity to send him finishing funds to a guy you've never heard of who wasn't a filmmaker yesterday right I think this this kind of generosity in the arts just makes so many things so it changed not only Ray's entire life and career but it changed the course of Indian cinema I would say internationally.
0: What's ironic is that the greatest one of the greatest filmmakers from India was first noticed by Americans. Yes, exactly. And that's the ironic part of exactly.
1: it. Exactly. So then after that of course it became you yeah. know but Once you know he, in popular in India. Yeah. It's like Gharki murgi, kind of. Yeah. But but uh, to be honest so Ray was always an art house independent filmmaker, so he never had mass appeal in that sense. His films were in Bengali, oh, so and his producers, so on. Uh, I mean, but this would be, I would imagine, with independent cinemas most place in the world, not only India and Pakistan or anywhere. Right, 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 it's right. never. I mean, he chose that consciously. He was. Uh, he never made masala films. That was not his his style at all. But there is a particular for me an economics at work in Bengal, specifically in Calcutta specifically where independent house films can become commercially viable because they have that audience that is so culturally evolved that makes it possible to kind of recover money even over a period of time, if not immediately. So that's how he was able to sustain such a prolific career of 37 films and being, you know, director, writer, music composer, editor, font illustrator, editor of children's books and have this whole career. And I believe a lot of his, uh, you know, some of the money that sustained him and his family actually came from his uh, from his writing. He was a very prolific a writer as well and his short stories are very famous so a lot of what sustained him as an artist came from his books as well as films
0: um, one of the movies that you chose was Chara I don't know I'm probably pronouncing this wrong Charulata. Charulata yes it's believed to be his favorite film and it's one of the movies you picked to show why was this his favorite movie and why did you choose this to be shown and also I think after he made this movie he went on to make uh, he went on his career went in a different direction where he started making fantasy movies and, and sci-fi movies so what why does this movie have so much impact?
1: Um, so to him, uh, the film was his personal favorite. I think he saw it as a film in which he made the least mistakes, according to himself, by his own view, because every, every artist wants to, you know, refine this, edit that, this music better, et cetera, et cetera, endlessly, right? So he thought this was relatively as perfect as one could get in his own personal opinion. But to me, it's also very, very, very modern film, very feminist, and totally a film of today, even though it was made, like, maybe about 60 years or much more. But, um, uh, so I think he, so to me, it's very feminist and humanist because he's addressing a married woman's literary, so artistic and romantic desires. She's married, but, you know, having a kind of a crush on someone else. So there is this married couple where the husband is a very busy newspaper editor and he has no time for his wife. And he wants his wife to uh, go out into the world and, you know, be, uh, and she's also very well-read. He's a nice guy. He's, he's a, a lovely husband. guy. He's a very lovely know, guy.
0: Not himself. at all. Very supportive. Very supportive.
1: Guy. He want he's aware that he's not giving his wife enough time so he invites his cousin to who uh, uh, kind of has a literary bent of mind and he knows his wife is also li- likes to to read stuff. She she reads voraciously. Yeah. To hang out with her and encourage her. He briefs his cousin to encourage his wife to write because he wants her to be more accomplished and he knows she has it in her. So he actually invites his cousin over but she falls in love with the the cousin Amal, right, who's played by this insanely gorgeous actor uh, Shwamitra Chatterjee whom I have an eternal crush on. But um, yeah, I think half of half the women in, in South Asia have a crush on him, and maybe elsewhere in the world. But um, uh, what is interesting is how Ray. Um, so there is this exquisite, exquisite scene which to me tells me so much. So um, Shubhra Mitra, this legendary cinematographer, is famous for what is called the establishing 10 minutes of the sea, of the film, which show you how lonely she is and walking around with opera glasses in her own house, etc., which is, of course, justly famous. There is a swing scene where she's... You, you see this incipient romance between her and Amal in the garden, and she's on the swing, uh, which is, again, very tenderly in a song... Uh, uh, suggesting that this romance is happening, uh, and yet ending in a very poignant way. But what I really like, and which is to be an explosively emotional scene without actually overdoing it, is what I call the pan scene. Pan, of course, is a is a leaf which is a digestive kind of thing which Indians and South Asians love to eat. But um, and, and, you know, just for time past, not necessarily after dinner, but you know, just generally, just a chewy like a our snack. classy equivalent. No, no, classy equivalent of chewing gum. I would say it's not even a snack. It's oh, just yeah? It's just a montification. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so, um, so they're all fond of eating pan, and, uh, and uh, so Amal gets something published that he wrote which she has been encouraging him to write and he gets something published and she uh, gets uh, kind of very jealous that he wrote something and she also wants to write and he's also been encouraging her so she secretly sends her something she wrote to a publisher doesn't tell anybody and it comes published right? So when it gets published, she whacks him on the head with the magazine in which it's published. She says, "See, see, see! It's my name, Charulata, and I've got published." She's a kind of okay. Now we are. Now we are. Now we are quits, right? Like he got published and she also got published. So she says, "See, see, see!" So she's showing off that hey, you know, I also got published, and he he's stunned and he says, "Oh my God!" But this is beautiful stuff. You know, this is wonderful, and I was so naive and I was asking you to write about your village, but this is magnificent writing and she goes off in a fury it's very interesting that scene so there's a pan down there which is a pan box she shows him the pan and she hurls the pan out of the window then she storms up to her room makes him a fresh pan offers him the pan and promises so for me the way she expresses her love for him is by promising never to write again And that scene is so explosive for me because it's telling me that the only way a woman can succeed in her in her own ambitions as an artist is by snuffing out her talent in order to keep her love because she feels that her talent will come between her in her love affair. It will be a thorn that he will now resent that she's a writer You know, so there's a lot of very delicate, unspoken things. It's all unspoken. It's all hidden, hidden, hidden. Yeah, it's for me explosive because she knows that because she. He tells her this is wonderful, and you must never stop writing. He tells her you must never stop writing. No, at the beginning of this scene, he tells her this is marvelous stuff. You should never stop writing, and her response is to give him the pan and promise him that I will never write again. So it's so much uh, so m- how acutely Rai understood a woman's heart and her feelings and her n- absolute anxiety. surety, yeah, that her accomplishments uh, would make him insecure, and it would ruin their that romance. Yeah. And you know, everyone knows that men are generally, as a race in general, yeah. insecure about women who are very beautiful, accomplished in control of their lives, who go about fulfilling their own destinies. they can't handle it, or they get become better. insecure. Yeah, they cannot handle it. Yeah. So it makes him insecure. It could be very, very subconscious for a, even for a very nice guy. It could be subconscious, which he's not aware of. And she knew that. And the what she does is to fling the book away. This is her first published magazine, but she flings it away yeah. because she knows it's going to be a thorn in their relationship. It is an exquisite scene. See what well, you
0: just did? Yeah, critics, you, you critics <laughs> me even see more, which I didn't see. Just
1: beautiful. Um, one of the loyal. things that he
0: does at the end of the movie is that he uses which I've never seen before, uses freeze frame. Like Yes. To me, that was the first
1: yes. time I've ever seen that. Yeah.
0: What is what is the meaning of that?
1: So I think it's many things. Now, I can't remember offhand, but I would imagine like the freeze frame, which a lot of, uh, I, I mean, I'm not some world authority on film so I just know a bit, but I would, I can't remember, but I would imagine Through 4's Katra Sanku, 400 Blows was before that, which had a famous freeze frame at the end as well as a a very, very classic kind of freeze frame at the end. Uh, And also a kind of uh, fourth wall breaking thing where the young boy who's the protagonist, uh, uh, Jacques Douanel, I think, something Douanel, turns around and looks at the camera and there's a freeze frame when he's at the beach and he stares at camera, kind of accusing us of, he's kind of a delinquent kid and he's staring at us as being responsible for his situation, in a way, without all very classy without words. So for me, this freeze frame where uh, the husband finds out that Charulata had a crush on or Slash was having an affair with Amal, his own cousin, whom he actually brought to encourage her, but who kind of, you know, so there's multiple betrayals there. So his brother-in-law, who is his wife, Charulata's own brother, betrays him by running off with the family money. Then Charulata, his wife, betrays him and his own cousin betrays him by having an affair with his wife. So there's three betrayals all at the same time, which is very hard for him to handle by three people who are very close to him. But also, um, so then he goes off. I mean, he's he goes mad and he just kind of goes for a, gotagadi, a, a, a you godagadi know, ride on a horse car just to, uh, you know, get some fresh air and clarify. I mean, you know, just to settle his thoughts a bit and his heart a bit. And when he comes back, so she says, Aisho. So she says, come in. So, so it's this very kind of awkward silence because, you know, he she knows that he knows about the betrayal. And then she... Um, she says, a show which has come in and holds her hand out to him, and he very tentatively puts his hand out, hand out towards her hand, but it stops just short, and it's it's frozen there as a freeze frame. So it's a reconciliation of sorts, but there will always be that betrayal between them. It's saying so much without any dialogue. Mm-hmm. So for me, the greatest scenes in cinema are always those without dialogues. The ones that you remember forever are those without dialogues, right? Because each of us can make of it what we will. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of so there is." They're moving towards a reconciliation, but that betrayal is always there between them, kind of. That kind of stuff, like that, yeah.
0: Uh, what was, for me, the movie was so sophisticated because there was no binary character. Like, there Correct. There was nobody you can hate. Exactly, you know? and exactly. you these days, you, you so hate right. the husband, the husband's abusive. You're so sure, right. It's okay for her to do that, but yeah. now it's like, yeah. he's nice, she's nice, his yeah. guy's nice. Yeah. So
1: that's one of the great things about Ray, and I, I love it. So in one of his interviews, he, he said he found villains boring. He found it too boring to make a black and white. You know, that's the guy you hate because that's how humans are, right? So in, even in the worst guys, there are some redeeming things. On the nicest guys, there can be uh, some not very nice things. You know, where nobody's perfect, right? So to acknowledge the humanity in everybody, and uh, understand that even someone like Amal, who is such an adorable fellow and a mischievous nutcase whom we all fall in love with, he he. He also found it hard to control his feelings, but was careful not to cross the line. And he rather left than betray, uh, you know, um, his his own cousin. Yeah. So uh, about how how a lot of us are on the borderline a lot of the times, and it's very hard to draw that line and not cross a border where uh, we might hurt somebody in order to fulfill our desires. Yeah.
0: All right. I got two questions. Yeah. So we have to pick this quick. Yeah. Uh, okay, so what... Um, what was the legacy that Ray left behind? Right, did it make an effect or an impact on, on Hindi film cinema now? Because I grew up in the 90s and and I just know I thought the three kings were the first and, and top of everything. Yeah. So I was surprised to learn about him when as I got older. But did did he kind of change India and allowed more of these kind of movies to come in? Or did it just go back to commercial type movies?
1: You're absolutely right. So he did, as I said, he's a pioneer of the paddle cinema movement of the 1950s. And not only him, but a whole lot of others, including Rinalse and Ritik Ghatak, many, many, many filmmakers in Bengal, but also elsewhere in the in the country. Arud Gopal Krishnan. There was uh, so many others. Right. So uh, Jabbar Patel in many different languages. Janu Barwa. So all of these people were part of a larger paddle cinema movement, which was about arthouse independent films. And at that time, some of it was supported by the government as well, the National Film Development Corporation of India, NFDC. But a lot of, you know, India, 95 or 99% of the industry is private, which is why it is so resilient and has, uh, you know, outlasted, uh, not outlasted in numbers, far more prolific than Hollywood. Hollywood. <laughs> they barely make about 700 feature films a year. India makes about 2,500 feature films a year and minimum 5,000 films on average, if you include documentary shots and everything. So it's an insanely, it's the number one most prolific industry in the world. So um, I think Ray's contribution but also of all of his contemporaries, the parallel cinema movement, also including, for example, Sham Menegal, Govind Nihalani, many others like that, they opened up the gates to another kind of cinema, which can be realistic, which can have non-actors, which can be in rural settings or in poverty, but can be extremely artistic and And just give you a lot of food for thought other than beauty and, you know, truth and beauty, I would say, as against the masala, uh, you know, happy, happy romance and, you know, very predictable formula that is also in so insanely successful of the masala template of Bollywood but um i think that legacy continues because we don't have that clear cut distinction which was oh that is masala and this is arthouse and there's been a lot more middle ground in between what i call Mindy cinema which is mainstream plus indie so mainstream cinema has also become a little more realistic so you have films like kapoor and sons which has big stars like alia bhat and you know Siddharth, et cetera, etc but also you know full on chart busting floor burning numbers but also realistic things about L G B T issues, about uh, you know your parents being uh, having extramarital affairs. So very realistic issues as well, as well as films, uh, uh, you know, uh, art house films also having more mainstream elements. You know, with song and dance, or so. But so so I love this because Ray tried to. So one of the films we include of Ray, which is called Nayok, meaning the hero. So he tried to go more mainstream, which I find is so classy. Even when he tried to get mainstream, he was so classy. So he had Uttam Kumar, who was the reigning Bengali star for decades and decades, and Sharmila Tagore, whom he had actually discovered in Teen Konna his uh, three. Three Daughters, which was one of his early works where he had discovered her as an actress, as a almost a child child actress. But by then, she had already gone to Bollywood and become a big Bollywood star with Kashmir Ki Kali and Anupama and a whole lot of other films. And he invited her back to, to be in Nayok. So she, he was having this Bollywood star and this Bengali star in Nayok, the hero. Mm-hmm. So he tried to go mainstream elements, but of course it remained uh, very much in the indie art house space. And he also in Jol Sagar, which is one of the most exquisite films, The Music Room, he tried to go more mainstream, quote unquote, by having song and dance, but he was so classical by using, you know, uh, very classical Hindustani music and Kathak, which is a classical in, uh, uh, Indian dance. Uh, by having so, the, even when he used commercial elements, they were just so classy and indie. So, uh, well,
0: do you think there's, in, you know, with India currently, do you think there's space for another A?
1: Um, I don't think he has a. He's uh, he's never had a clear cut. Uh, inheritor of his mantle so to speak but I think his works have imbued many 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 artists including the ones I've um, included in this including Amit Datta and um, Anik Datta. but a whole lot of filmmakers if you talk to them they, they all say that they owe Ray a lot uh, so it might be a very subconscious influence even if it isn't very explicit but there's no question that nas, nas mein rag rag mein. he's like in our, in, our, in our breaths and in our bones and in our blood which is a very rich legacy I think so many decades on
0: Awesome. Uh, Thank you so much for doing this. This was a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much, Asan. Really a delight being with you. Thank you so much.